$10 million deal in the middle of Saudi Arabia where you don't speak the language and you're in a foreign land. That is how we kick things off today with Gabe Larson. This was an incredible interview uh, where Gabe talks through you know, his past experiences from Goldman Sachs to software sales, his management tactics, the day-to-day life, and how he gets the most out of himself and his team. This was an incredible interview. So uh, one quick thing that we want to do here is, is give a shout out to the TR Talk comment of the week. Seamus Noonan from Crunchbase. Some of the questions that you offered up for this interview were used in the interview and they were great. So thank you for, for helping us out with that. As always, this is TR Talk podcast hosted by myself, Tom Alamo, and my co-host, Ryan Warner. We truly appreciate all the support. We you know highly encourage you to like comment, share with a friend. iTunes reviews are really helpful for us. Uh, so if you found any part of these nuggets successful, please feel free to share and comment. We, we really do appreciate it. So we hope you enjoy the interview and, and looking forward to another one. All right. Welcome, everyone. To another episode of TR Talk. This is Tom Alamo alongside my co-host Ryan Warner. Good morning everyone. And today we have a special guest, Gabe Larson. We are pumped to talk to Gabe today. Um, Gabe, welcome to the show. Yeah guys, really appreciate it. Always fun to talk all things sales. Yeah, let's do this thing. So, uh, you know, Gabe, let's, let's dive right on in, man. I mean, so your career has really spanned the gamut. Um, you started over at, at Goldman Sachs as an equity derivative specialist, held a number of different uh, you know, sales titles, and now you're over at InsideSales.com and, and hosts actually another popular podcast, uh, the Playmaker podcast. So l- let's take it back to the beginning. How'd that all start? <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're, when you're well, I guess I'm, it's old like, is, is always a, somewhat of a perception, but um, you know, sometimes I feel like in sales, if you want to get to the place you want to be, you have to run into a couple of doors where you don't want to be. And so, uh, you know, when I started, um, I started at Goldman Sachs and thought I wanted to be a trader on Wall Street. And truthfully, that was right around the time that the market melted, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008. And I saw the stock price at Goldman Sachs go from 250 to 50. And I thought the world was going to end and we were working crazy hours and, you know, Lehman brother, we were taking on those clients and, um, you know, a couple things happened there. I said to myself, you know, is this where I want to be? But, um, as I saw that stock price go down, I was like, how can one of the world's biggest banks kind of drop to its knees? Um, and in 2009, Goldman had, you know, one of its best years ever. And one of the things that came out of that was consumer confidence and trust. And it kind of got me moving down the people side of things. And I said, you know what? I ought to try to find a company that is more focused on on people and and see if they can consult around how people do what they do. And uh, long story short, I, I had a great opportunity to jump over to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia, and work with a company called Gallup and a guy by the name of Danny Kahneman, who was a behavioral economist. And uh, he won the Nobel Prize in 2002. And Um, So I spent five years at Gallup and and started our office in Saudi Arabia and, um, you know, continued the sales journey. And so those were kind of my first two positions, both kind of at Goldman and Gallup. And they started my my, my thought process in the sales world. 
That's yeah, that's that's incredible. And I think that's something that a lot of people our age and, and everyone deals with where you just you come out of college and you just pick a job somewhat randomly. Like I know I picked a major randomly um, and then you sometimes you shift around and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting to see how you landed on that path. Well, and like I said, you know, at Goldman, it was I had this boss. I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> but, you know, he, to this day, he still calls me Dave. You know, my name's Gabe. But um, you know, that was a little bit unfortunate in the work hours. And so, again, you, you start somewhere and now I'm at a tech company, right? And and there is a journey, a progressive journey there. And sometimes I I, I think that's the best advice for people. It's like you you gotta you gotta open a couple doors that you have kind of the wrong person answer until you can find that door that you get to the, kind of the right person. You're like, this is where I want to be, man. This is the right place. And I think that's something that we've heard ring true with a couple of our guests: is have experiences, get out there, you know, try things, don't be afraid to fail at things. Um, and I know we haven't talked about it yet, but it's definitely the elephant in the room for Tom and I. We were talking about it all last night. You know, you closed or were involved with a $10 million deal. Let's get into that. I mean, how did that start? Walk us through that process. We're dying to know. Yeah, you know, the. <laughs> um, I mean, I look back on it, you guys, right? I mean, I actually started in college. I, I My first sales experience was at The Gap, actually. I usually don't say that to too many people. Um, <laughs> you know, I did some tech sales. I I did a short stint at Accenture and Goldman Sachs and Gallup. And so I love the different experiences, but the thing that kind of took it to the next level was getting into a place where it was just kind of me and me alone. Um, and that was that move overseas, right? So when I dropped myself in Saudi Arabia, um, I'm all alone in a country, you know, I don't speak Arabic or anything. And I took kind of my new, my, my wife, who we were just recently married and there's a whole story there about, you know, almost getting a divorce and stuff like that. I mean, it's just hard, the, the international travel, to be honest. But anyway, so I land in Saudi Arabia and um, one of our biggest accounts was Toyota. Um, and the idea was we wanted, I mean, Toyota in the Middle East, you guys, they basically have almost 50% market share. And what we were doing with Gallup was kind of optimizing their customer feedback loop. So think net promoter score, trying to get an understanding of what customers want in order to help them kind of figure out their sales strategy, you know, how their sales rep should act in their different retail locations. And so we get into Saudi Arabia and, and I think this is a great concept and I'll try to make it short, but the first thing was we were able to close a, a million dollar deal with Toyota in Saudi Arabia. Um, and by no means did I do that alone. I mean, you'll learn anytime you're closing big deals, it's always a team effort. But there's a couple tried and true principles. Number one, you gotta stay the expert in the room, right? Although you build a team, you gotta make sure that you kinda stay the person. And with me being on site and the rest of the team being not on site, it really helped just push me to a level of there is nobody to do this for you. You've got to do it yourself. And so we started, I mean, I say small, but we got that first $1.2 million deal. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, you know, I'd only closed kind of potato chip deals before, you know, a couple grand, etc. So that was a huge deal for me. But with that kind of momentum, we then took it to the next level in Saudi Arabia um, and some of the surrounding countries and Toyota's presence there allowed us to start to move into actually the United Arab Emirates. Now in the United Arab Emirates, Toyota has another huge operation, again, about 50% market share. And so with the team, we took the Saudi Arabia win 
and then jumped into kind of the United Arab Emirates and said, you know what, why don't we roll this into a larger deal? It was a three-year deal, $3.3 million each year, so a total of, you know, a little over $10 million. And that one um, was a Herculean effort. Um, you know, two people, Katiyun Rezamiri, you know, Ghassan Khoury, um, you know, Katiyun was a mentor of mine, um, just a fantastic salesperson, somebody who, you, you know, you find these people in your career who you can just, you just got to be a sponge around them. And she was the best of the best. And she just, you know, the whole pursuit team, we just kind of worked through that and was able to, to bring it to fruition. So really cool experience. Man, that, that's awesome to hear. Um, and I, I just am so curious about, um, taking that deal, you know, obviously 1 million is nothing to blink an eye at. And then obviously you, you 10 X it to that next deal. But what are those negotiations like where you're going in with, you don't speak the language, uh, that those folks typically speak. You're going in at a massive deal and you're, you, you can't be afraid of the numbers that, that are being thrown around, although they're massively intimidating. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, certainly breaking it down into a yearly yearly piece was a little better than saying, you know, it's going to be 10 million in, in one year. But um, yeah, I mean, don't think that's a, a, a one month sales cycle. I mean, that was a deal. God, what was it? Maybe four years, you know, four years in the works. Um, so that's something that wasn't disclosed overnight. As I said, you got these smaller deals that kind of rolled up to it. Um, another real big thing was getting kind of the whole um, company involved or getting a lot of people to back it. So, um, a lot of people say, you know, if you think you can just walk in the door and close a 10 million, that, that just wasn't the way it was. So even in the United Arab Emirates, you know, one of the keys was to be able to kind of go to the leadership team and say, let us show you the initial results. Let us show you the results from kind of the previous deal. And I remember we actually had kind of this group gathering where, um, we, we brought in the, the founder owner, um, and, we had the different kind of groups present some of the the, the results of, of how the culture had changed due to kind of the customer focus, the customer centricity. And um, it was kind of a big event, you know, probably had 150 people there and the founder walks through and we got these different booths and they're showing the founder kind of how they, um, you know, have changed their culture due to the customer centricity. And I mean, it was those types of things. And, and I'm just giving you one example, but it's like, I mean, how many deals do you have 150 people in a room, you know, trying to convince the founder to, you know, kind of buy off on, on kind of a bigger deal, an expansion deal. And so um, a lot of micro meetings, a lot of macro meetings led to that. But certainly one of the big things was you got to be able to have results. And if you can show both qualitative results like we did in that meeting and then quantitative results, you know, true ROI, it becomes a little bit easier. But again, three, four years coming is nothing small. What an amazing story and something that you know Tom and I are eagerly writing notes on as we speak here. But one of the things that, that jumped out to me, Gabe, was you talked about going to a new country. You know, you're alone over there, and sales can certainly be a lonely job. And so for all the millennial sales professionals listening, what was your self-talk like or what were you thinking when you had maybe a bad day or um, you were feeling alone in, a, in an unknown place? You know, what was your self-talk like? Because we've all been there. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the original concept was I needed to go back to the, because there were some real down days, you know, especially the days when, um, oh man, a couple of days in Saudi Arabia where it's just, you're like, what am I doing here again? Not just the alone factor, but the language factor, obviously, in, in a lot of cases was a real barrier. But, you know, 
I remember when I first decided to go, um, and it was kind of one of those moments of intuition where it's like, you know, I see the email kind of come through and the opportunity to apply to kind of go and do this. And there was a full interview process at Gallup. But man, I just remember that moment of, I got to do this. You know, I've got to get out of the box. I got to stretch myself. And I just had such a powerful moment of, man, you got to step up and do this. And so in those moments where it was like, I just wanted to curl up in a ball and cry, you know, I tried to go back to that moment of, I remember this is something that I knew, I knew it was right for me. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. That's not that right and easy are not always in the same sentence, but there was a moment of truth. And if I could get back to that moment of, hey, you felt like this was the thing to do and you knew it was right, just stick with it and you'll be fine. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. And it, it sounds kind of like trying to re-understand and have a deeper meaning and, and kind of find your why, so to speak. And so that's something, again, that we hear with pretty much every guest is that the deeper their why is, the more they can stick through things like that. And, well, that's, yeah, and I, I assume you know, that's helped. The, the thing that's been big is um, not, not like I've always tried to ch- take the path of the most resistance, but, you know, oftentimes there, I, I've just learned it enough in life that the, the harder path is obviously sometimes the path that has the greater rewards. And so it's another thing if I can kind of keep in the back of my mind, like, man, keep that, keep going. Cause the harder it is often the better the prize at the end. Are you familiar with uh, David Goggins, Gabe? I don't think so, no. He's an ultra-marathon absolute maniac, mm. and he refers to what you're describing as callousing the mind, where <laughs> the more hard things he can put himself through, the tougher he's going to be mentally. I think that definitely holds true here. Well, and yeah, because, um, man, so many people are like, what the heck did you do in Saudi Arabia? And it's like, what the heck? You, you expected me to, what, stay in New York or stay, stay in San Francisco? I mean, boring. You know, let's do... Let's let's push our limits. Let's push ourselves. And uh, Saudi Arabia was a little further than I thought I'd go, but it's that type of push, that type of get out of your comfort zone. That um, I mean, it just changed my whole paradigm, you guys. And, and again, I go back to that alone thing. It's like, you know, in my earlier career, I was I was a more of a team person, meaning I just needed other people around me to make myself successful. But when I put myself in a position where I had to do it alone, I just feel like. Now I know who I am, and now I can surround myself with people who support that. Whereas before, I just needed people around me because I wasn't as confident in my abilities. That's that's huge, yeah. And and so knowing that breaking out of the comfort zone is a huge thing that's shaped your career, and now you, uh, for a number of years, have managed teams. How do you help those that sit under you to get out of their comfort zone or hit new levels? Yeah, you know, um, you know, the first thing is I always kind of ask people um, to take, I call it wit, and it's just whatever it takes. So, um, you know, that one of my fundamental principles is you just, you got to start with the attitude. Um, and, and this whatever it takes attitude is just something fundamental to be on my team. So if I call you at 10 p.m., um, it's not like I'm going to do it every single day, but I need you to kind of do that. And I need you to take it with the, this is kind of how, this is whatever it takes to make it right is going to be the way to do it. So I take that and then truthfully, um, I like to run a culture that's a little more intense just because I feel like, I mean, that's a little more who I am. And so I'm a big believer in setting it, setting it right as you start. And so I'm a big guy who does kind of a huddle in the morning and then a huddle in the afternoon to make sure that we stay on task and we do kind of what we're going to do, what we're, we said we're going to do. Uh, a lot of people are like, hey, isn't that against your alone mentality? Um, I feel like people got to start to jive together before they can go alone. And so 
Um, if I can establish an attitude mentality in somebody and then I can get that concept of, hey, this is how we do it in the morning, this is how we do it in the afternoon, and we do that even just for a couple months, I can then start to meld with that person, align with that person, build trust with that person, and then eventually the training wheels come off. And then from there, we've melded so much that I believe you can go forward. Or I believe I got to push you out the door because it's alignment and we got to be running with that whatever it takes mentality. And that's the way I feel like it's typically need to be done. Man, I I love that. I love that attitude. And so I want to get a little more a little more tactical about those huddles, right? So like walk us through on uh, on a day to day um say it's a monday morning you know what time are you doing it how long is is each huddle and, and what are you talking about with the team yeah you know so I, I wish there was a better like project management tool and i'm sure there's more fancy stuff but i've just got a google documents um a, a, you know a little google doc um in, in in spreadsheets that uh we use so we can align it and um each day we just add a new column to it and we talk about kind of three things, you know, past, present, future. And, you know, again, sometimes it's looser than others. Don't let me pretend like I'm some sort of drill sergeant, but I need to be able to write it down so that we can talk about it. So it's, hey, yesterday, how did it, how did we do or what, what happened or any quick thoughts, numbers, quick achievements, right? action you know so then that's past right and then present what do we need to talk about today so any quick things you guys are thinking about you want to do today and then future is let's just get those tasks nailed down so that we can review them at the end of the day add a new column every single day and um that's kind of the way way we run it when like what other things are you doing on a daily basis you know tom and i are obsessed with learning you know what tactics or routines do successful people do every day so you do the huddle in the morning you do the huddle in the afternoon what are some things you're doing now or you did when you were a rep that you did every day consistently yeah you know the biggest thing for me is um you you, you your last word um is it's just about being consistent right so um i'm a person who believes number one if you're consistent you're going to be great number two you got to outwork people and so um, I got a family now, you know, I'm, I'm a little later in my career. I have three kids. Um, <laughs> there was a great football movie that they'd say back in the day, you know, you put the women and children to bed and go looking for dinner. Um, so I'm the guy, you know, as soon as 10 PM comes around, I'm back to work. So my, one of my most productive times is about 10 to 1 AM and that's where I'm going to double down. I'm going to beat everybody, uh, because I'm going to outwork them. Um, and I do that again by being consistent. So you know, we got a podcast, I got 150 episodes, we just started doing video, I'll do twice a week, and I guarantee you that I'll do twice a week. Um, when I was a rep, you know, I went for the fake it until you make it mentality. You know, a lot of people said, God, how do you seem to know so much about the sales industry? Like, now, you know, I got a book coming out here soon. Um, we got a, a fairly decent podcast and fairly decent following. A lot of people, like, you know, how do you learn about the industry? You know, 10 to 1 a.m., man. I mean, I read this stuff. I got 60 articles every single day, whether I'm driving, I'm on the pots, you know, I'm, I'm walking around. I'm flashing different types of articles or things, to find, just 10 minutes a day to make sure that I'm on top of my game when it comes to sales. So I got all my competitors' blogs. I got all industry publications. I know the lingo better than other people know the lingo. And pretty soon, guess what? I mean, I know it. I, I Now I actually, I mean, I've consulted a couple hundred clients. I've read all this stuff. I've invented some of the lingo, well, in my opinion. So, I mean, it, consistency <laughs> number one and then just outworking. And by outworking, I mean, I just think, 
you got to do more than others if you're going to be the best. Gabe, I got to tell you, and for the listeners out there, we're, we're recording this on uh, fairly early on a Saturday morning, and I'm ready to, to put on the helmet, get into the office, and start making some cold calls. I'm fired up right now. Seriously? And just to... And just to help on, I know you, you mentioned the podcast too. Ryan and I have, have been listening well, to hey, the let, Playmaker let me just podcast. Say, let me say one, one more thing to that because it's like people want to talk about all these fancy things when it comes to sales. You know, we'll talk about them, social and cadence and how to manage your pipe and all that. You know, don't get me wrong. It's all good. But sales comes down to two things, you guys, quantity and quality. You either do it better or you do more of it. And sometimes if you just take that step back, it's like, how do I make more, how do I make, how do I close more deals? We'll just work harder, do more of it, make more cold calls, send more emails. You know, well, how do I get more, you know, how do I do, well, you just got to do it better, make a better email, get a better talk track, quality and quantity sometimes. It's just that simple. And, you know, so we may want to make it a little more complicated. That's, that's it. I mean, it's, that's it. It's sometimes I think we all try to make it more difficult than it needs to be. It's just make more calls and make every call a little bit better. Um, it's, it's sometimes it's that simple. But I do want to give a quick plug to your podcast. Ryan and I have been been listening to the Playmaker podcast that you host. And uh, for any of the listeners out there, it's a great podcast. Um, you know, you break down really kind of a different technique. Uh, for lack of better term that reps use and and really for people that are trying to do things against the typical standard and learn new tactics um that you can be successful with so it's it's great um and hopefully hopefully folks can plug in on that blast doing it blast doing it um and so cool so i want to transition real quick here to what we would call rapid fire um and so we have some questions from the audience we want to ask and just some quick hitters here to close this off so um, you know, one thing that I wanted to to know was you mentioned sales cadence. I think that's huge. What's the ideal sales cadence that you've seen work in an organization? I'd start at the top. You got to understand that the definition of a sales cadence is the sequence of activities. And this is about my third, forty third version of this. So go with it. A sequence of activities to increase contact and qualification. There's some some stuff built into that definition. You know, a sequence. There's some data. There's some thought process behind it. activities. Recognizing a cadence that there's actually right now about seven different activities you can do, and I'll go aggressive to passive. That's phone, voicemail, text, email, social, email with video. That's a big one coming online. And then mailers, high-impact mailers. All of those are different mediums you can use as part of your cadence, and I'll get to why that's important in just a minute. And then last but not least, contact and qualification rates. A lot of people are like, hey, cadence just to get me in the door, isn't it? Get a conversation. No, not if you do it right. Qualification rates. You can actually educate your buyer if you do your cadence right. And so know that in a cadence, there's basically five pillars you need to be thinking about. Number of attempts. That's total number of touches you're going to do. Number two is media. That's going to be the mix of those different activities. Am I going to go text with high impact mailer or email or voicemail or so? How am I going to bring those things together? Then I'm going to go duration, spacing, and content. So all five of those need to be optimized to get a cadence. Now, I'll, I'll get to, I'll get off my soapbox here in just a second, but cadences vary with these three things. Number one, are you a sales development rep or are you an account executive? That's a bit, you're gonna see some differences there. Number two, are you transactional or relational? Are you selling widgets? You selling jumbo jets? 
total different approach, total different cadences. And then last but not least, are you inbound or outbound? Are you following up on marketing leads? Or are you going outbound and kind of going after target accounts? That would be more for a sales development rep. And then on the account executive side, it's more are you going after new business or are you going after existing business? So there's three layers. <laughs> there's three layers of that and then those five pillars. Then we can start talking about kind of best practices and cadence. But to simplify it, you know, one of the things we've found in a lot of our research we call it kind of the three by three by three by three model. That's four threes if you couldn't count with me. It's just a great place to start. So three phone calls, uh, three voice messages, three emails, and three social touches. It's kind of a basic place to go, and that typically is over about a two- to four-week period. So think of it like 15 to maybe 20 days. You'd kind of roll that in. Um, but again, that's just a place to start. If you're more relational, you're going to go a little longer in your duration and you're going to start to mix in some of these things. High impact mailers, you guys. Wow. If you haven't checked it out, go to my LinkedIn. We just did one called the Coffee Play. Killed it. Sent it to almost 50 people. We got 37 out of 42 meetings, 700,000 in pipe, closed off a couple hundred thousand in revenue. Wow. Um, using a high impact mailer as part of your cadence. Um, We've done some fun things with text messaging. A lot of people are like, hey, isn't there problems with text messaging, TCPA compliance? Yeah, 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 there is, there is. But you got you know, be creative, get, jump out of the box a little bit. So a lot of different ways you can go relational, you're a little more strategic, and again, transactional, you gotta get the phone. You're selling widgets, you don't need to be sending mailers, just get the phone, man, and close these guys in that one, one or two calls. So a lot of fun things you can do on Cadence. Know that there's not one kind of silver bullet, but know that there is art and science and there's some real data and best practices to back it. Yeah, and and some of these that you're talking about too, I, I know are brought up in the podcast. I actually listened to um, to a few where, where you were talking through some of those, those different tactics. The one that kind of catches me off, and I want to ask a quick follow-up here though, is on the, is on the high-impact mailer. Yeah. Uh, those stats are incredible. So can you just briefly you don't need to give the full full background but just tactically what like what what is it and what exactly are you saying and sending that's that's getting these deals moving <laughs> yeah i mean so high impact mailers you guys are basically think about cards or gifts that are part of the cadence or sales process and sometimes people refer to them as door openers or something like that i mean look the average person's getting about 120 150 emails you know per person per day Social, a lot of leaders just don't have time to go check their Twitter account or their LinkedIn account. Um, so prospecting is all about being different. Um, and so we've tested a variety. We believe there's five levels of mailers, you know, from all the way at the bottom, just note cards to extreme personalized gift with handwritten note cards. So think, you know, I went to Brigham Young University, you know, you send me an alumni jacket with my name on it or something right um so you just got to think about being different so um we went and i'll just give this one example you know a part of my job i run what we call inside sales labs and that's our research and best practice and content arm um and as part of that that labs you know I don't necessarily have white coats and good-looking lab assistants, but we, we do run we do run experiments. And one of the experiments we ran was called this coffee campaign uh, or this coffee play where we got a target audience with one sales rep and said, hey, why don't we tar get your target audience nailed down and we'll send them a coffee mug with Inside Sales branded on it. It was a Yeti coffee mug, $10 Starbucks card. 
um, we'll send that to them and then we'll have a follow-up strategy with email and text message and social about 15 touches total make sure they got it and then offer them and say, you know the pitch was kind of hey why don't you take some coffee warm yourself we'll see if we can't kind of take some of your time and warm up your pipeline type of thing right you have some kind of connection there so we sent that and as I said had some fantastic results you can check that out on, on my LinkedIn but the idea is being different uh, and prospecting is always about finding if everyone send an email which right now I got a lot of data that says especially US reps they love email so if everybody loves email you need to be doing something different everybody stop what they're doing hit rewind and go back to listen to that last three minutes because that was awesome um, how many people just do the emails or maybe call when they need a contract signed I mean doing the mailers and you know even a personalized Gift, like how hard is it to look at? You went to BYU, send you a BYU coffee mug with a Starbucks gift card. That's dynamite. Um, yeah, I mean, guys, I, I followed amazing. up, you know, as part of the, the program, we sent it to, again, 42 people. And, and I'm just talking about one rep, and I've got other examples. And, and the gifts matter. Um, and the, the notes, I mean, things are, are mattering. But, um, God, it, it's not that difficult. And, it's, and it's, it's just different. It's just about being different. Well, and as much as we're kind of bashing, uh, not bashing, but you know, playing down email, I, I think it's still a, a relevant channel. And one of the questions from the audience was, what's the best cold email you've ever received and why? I, I just love, again, being in this space, I love to see things that are different. And so um, I'm a big fan of video. I think this video thing is, is awesome. So you, you, in the actual subject line, maybe put brackets video and then record a personalized video for me and say, I've gotten a handful of them to say, Again, hey, Gabe, man, saw, you know, listen to one of your podcasts, um, you know, thought that was pretty cool and you get the video aspect. To me, it's all, it, it's all about giving value before you ask for value. So if I see one more rep, you know, write and say, this is who we are. Do you have 15 minutes to chat? Um, it's just, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I hate that. I hate that email, but I love when people give me value before they get value back. So let me give one quick example. Podcast is an easy one. I mean, I'm an easy target. If you write me and say, I just got my head of sales to agree to jump on your podcast. He's got a killer talk track. Any interest? Wow. Wow. I mean, absolutely. And guess what? I just did it with a company called Drift. I jumped on and I mean, we did a podcast with their CEO and I'm like, this is one. I mean, his talk track was fantastic. And guess what I did? I called my CEO up and said, we got to, we got to get this. We, we, we got to, we got to follow up on this. These, these guys are fantastic what they're doing, but they gave me value before they asked for value. And so certainly fun, some fun ta tactics to try, but from a principled standpoint, find a way to give before you get. We're winding down here. I, I have one question left. Um, you know, something you mentioned earlier was you read a lot. You read industry blogs, you read competitive content, and that's something that can easily be forgotten during a crazy sales week. I know we just wrapped up our month at Salesforce and, and things were pretty crazy, but if I'm a sales rep in today's environment, what are things I must be reading every week? Yeah, I mean, it's always a tough one to know, kind of the best for your your specific niche, right? I do think that there's, um, there's going to be some things that are general to your industry. And again, I love the, the competitive stuff. Um, I, I think that's fantastic. But outside of that, I would probably identify, um, you know, maybe 15, 20 
um, industry experts um, and, and, you know, from a Salesforce standpoint, quotable, I'll, I'll give you guys a plug. Um, you may want to follow a guy like um, um, Grant Cardone. You may, you know, I'll throw my hat in there. Maybe you, you, you grab onto someone like myself, but um, find 20 of these people um, and, and see if you can't kind of start to follow them because some, you know, some people, some people want to be pioneers and try to figure it out themselves. But I've always said the definition of a supermodel is modeling people who are successful. And so if you can find people who are winning, um, why try to reinvent the wheel? Why not take some of that stuff that's already working, like the coffee play? I've probably had, I mean, on, a, on that LinkedIn post, I think we got 15,000 views, God, just in the first week and a half or so. Um, I probably have had 100 conversations, people reaching out to me, and I'll always take a call, always take a conversation. How can I run this game? And I've had a lot of people see success with it. That's taking somebody, you know, a thought leader, and taking their play and running it in your own world or customizing it to your own world. So I love the competition, but I love finding some industry thought leaders. And again, Quotable um, is a great one. Jill Conrath, Grant Cardone. Um, I love Anthony Arino. Um, I love um, John Barrow. You know, find some of these people who are a little more attitude, a little more swag. And then take their stuff and make it your own. A creative plagiarism is is one of the keys to innovation. Creative plagiarism is one of the keys to innovation. That's that's great. And, and I think one tactical thing too, uh, on that note, is if you, you can simply make a Twitter list, take those fifteen to twenty people, put those specifically on there, and you look at that in the morning and you say, all right, what's Grant Cardone saying? What's Jill Conrath saying today? You know, what what what's Gabe Larson saying today? And that that really takes. 10, 15 minutes in the morning and you get your mind right, maybe you steal an idea or two and, and that can really impact your Yeah, you day. know, so for me at the moment, again, just to go tactic, I tried the Twitter list. I didn't love it as much. I've, I've got it set up. Some of these people aren't quite as active on on uh, on Twitter. So I set up my Feedly, you know, one of these kind of e-readers um, and you can add in, you know, I've got about 55 publications in there and I can just swipe throughout the day Again, quotable or, or, you know, the Forbes article or Inc. Magazine and more in the sales section, some of these thought leaders, their blogs. So I try to flip through those. And again, sometimes it's just headline reading. And a lot of people say headline reading is not the best. But again, you want to get the lingo. You want to get the idea. You would have seen from our blog, my coffee play come up. What the, the coffee play? What's that? Read through. So a Feedly or an e-reader are, are fantastic ways to just swipe real quick because you're not, probably not driving, but you know, just during, during the day and catch some of those things five, 10 minutes a day, change your life. Absolutely change your life. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that I know Grant Cardone says he, he buys a $10 book. He wants to find a million dollars in there with an yeah. idea. And I think that's, that's so true. So look, I, you've been super generous with your time here, uh, right about ready to wrap this thing up, but you know, two quick questions for you. One, you know, anything that, you know, you want to put out there or last thoughts to the, uh, to the audience here. And then also where can we find you on social media? Yeah. You know, I mean, so many great things. I mean, we cut, we've, we hit a lot of topics, you guys, but the, in, in conversations like this, I'd, I'd ask you to kind of listen back to it and try to grab some of those principles, right? Like a lot of people say, Hey, you seem to be pretty innovative. What's your, what's the secret? creative plagiarism. Again, I find what's working in other areas and I bring it to our own. It's just a principle. Um, another one, grab the principle of, you know, don't dig a well, divert a river, right? So don't dig a well, divert a river. So find somebody like myself or find somebody like Grant Cardone and, 
and mimic or work with them or find a way to partner with them. So you don't have to do things always on your own. But if you can find some of these principles, I promise you'll be able to, you know, apply them in your own world. So that would kind of be my my, my takeaway or maybe leave behind. But yeah, look, you guys, I mean, one of the things of trying to be, you know, in my role is trying to be everywhere and, and nowhere. So certainly you can find me on um, there's a lot of fun stuff, I think, in B2B sales on Facebook. So you can catch us on Facebook. You can catch me on YouTube at Gabe Larson, um, certainly Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so pick, pick your channel. Um, always happy to have a conversation. Always, I'll be offended if I don't get some people connecting with me on LinkedIn after this. So find the <laughs> channel. Let's continue the dialogue. That's awesome. Well, folks, you heard the man. Link up with him. Hit him on Twitter. Hit him on all the social media. He wants to hear from you. Um, Gabe, this was awesome. Uh, we're so glad that you, you came to join us. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, maybe we can get you on a round two later down the line. We Always, man. It. Take care. Wow. That was absolute fire. Gabe Larson is a savage. You know, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. So much value, so much gold nuggets to take back and improve your game, whether you're in sales, sales management, or hey, maybe you're in either and you're just a fan. So thank you for listening. As always, please leave a review on iTunes. Give us a like. Give us a share. We read all the comments and are incredibly grateful for the support. Thank you all for listening. We have tons of great guests lined up. Until next time, take care.